Welcome to Think Jewish. I'm not going to ask you if you know about this because that might give away your age, but there was once a movie called Sister Act. <laughs> and in Sister Act, there was a song called My God, a play of another song called My Guy, right? So the title that went out tonight was More Than Just a Sister Act, He's My God. Why did I focus on that topic? What is the Torah portion of this week? What is the name? Tzav. What does Tzav mean? Tzav means commandment. And God told Moses, tell the Jewish people, Tzav. He didn't say speak. He didn't say say. He didn't say tell. He said command the Jewish people. Tzav et Bnei Yisrael. Okay? What does Tzav mean? Number one. Number two, what is this week's Torah portion mostly about? Sacrifices. We're in the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is going to be talking a lot about sacrifices because the end of Exodus was the building of the tabernacle, which will evolve into the tabernacle of Shiloh, which will then later with King David evolve into the holy temple in Jerusalem. And that's where it permanently, it's its permanent spa space, place since. But what takes place in the holy temple? What takes place in the Holy Temple primarily is sacrifices. So you're going to get all those laws. Okay? Parenthetically speaking, not to get off the subject that I prepared for tonight, but there's an argument between Maimonides and another, Nachmanides, I believe, or maybe I'm off with who the two rabbis are, but there's an argument, what is the main centerpiece of the Holy Temple? Whether it's the altar or whether it's the Holy Ark. If you think about what that means on a metaphysical level, what is the main purpose of the Holy Temple? To teach us Torah, i.e. the Holy Ark, or to make possible Teshuvah, i.e. the altar. Sacrifices is about doing Teshuvah. Okay? But for tonight, let's just follow the focus that what happened most of the time is the Temple was used for sacrifices. Okay? Yes, the verse tells us, and God's voice came to Moses, and Moses came to the temple of commune, and that's where God spoke to him and taught him Torah to teach us. But primarily, when a person went to the holy temple, it was for the sake of doing teshuvah, bringing a sacrifice. So we have, number one, this concept of tzav, commandment, and number two, this concept of sacrifice. Let's just throw one more interesting twist into this. In all the mitzvot of the Torah, 613 commandments, where do you find consistently the words reach nechoach, a pleasant fragrance, is by sacrifice. It doesn't say, and you shall keep the Shabbat, and that will be a pleasant sacrifice, uh, ple uh, sorry, a fragrance of pleasance to God. It doesn't say that. Where does it continuously say that is by the sacrifice. So there's something unique about here in the sacrifice. So what we're going to talk about right now, and that's why we picked that title, He's My God, is because when you talk about He's My God, that demands of us something. That demands a relationship. It's not God as in dial 911. He's My God. There is a real, tangible relationship. For when things are going great, for when things are going south, or when things are just 
plateau. That's what we're talking about here. To understand this, let's go back to a simple teaching in the Zohar. The Rebbe, blessed memory, would quote this all the time. What does the word mitzvah mean? The Zohar wants to know, what does the word mitzvah mean? Simply speaking, I told you, it means commandment. But in Kabbalah, we play with the word to mean something else too. Tzafsa v'chibur, connection, correct. It means connection. Now, there's many different ways to explain this. One of the plain and simple ways that we're going to explain it today is that the 613 mitzvot are called 613 pillars, amudim, beams. And not only that, but it gets very specific because from our perspective, we have to hold up the roof, correct? The floor, we don't have to hold up. We have to hold up the roof. So we put a beam on the ground and then we put a roof on top of the beam so that the roof does not fall down. What happens if you look at reality in the complete opposite way? What happens down here is a reflection of what's going on up there. So which is permanent and stable and which needs to be held and supported? So our aspect, our egocentric aspect is that I and physical things that I can see, perceive, touch, smell, that's reality. And from this, I've got to build beams to hold up the abstract heavens and spirituality and God. But if you look from God's point of view, from the extraterrestrial, heavenly, supernal beings point of view, reality is heaven. And we got to make sure that the earth doesn't fall down. So from the godly perspective, mitzvot is not here to hold up the heaven from coming crashing down on us, like the Babylonian tower that was built, for that reason, at least their perception. But rather, what is it all about? It's all about that we should stay connected and not fall into the nether pit. Okay? So what is the definition of mitzvot? Mitzvot is the definition of a connection. It's the beam. It's the pillar. Let's look at it at a different perspective. I want to share with you an interesting story. The story happened with the first Lubavitcher Rebbe. And then the Rebbe actually by Fabrengen repeated it. And he repeated it with the exact sing-song tune that the Alter Rebbe said it. And up to when I heard that recording, that happened before my days. But until I heard that recording, I always heard that the Alter Rebbe, when he went into a meditation, he spoke in a special sing-song fashion. And I never knew what it was. Then when I heard the recording of the Rebbe, I, I, I was the first time in my life I heard the sing-song fashion the Alter Rebbe spoke in meditative state. And Alter Rebbe's story is like this. The Rebbe did it twice. This time, and then the Rebbe did another time. He quoted Alter Rebbe on a verse that we say in prayer, uh, taste and you will see that God is good. But let's talk about this story that I'm focusing on. So the Alter Rebbe went over to a chassid and told him like this, I have an obligation, biblical obligation, and you have a biblical obligation. I have a biblical obligation to teach my children Torah. You have a biblical obligation to support your wife and children. Let's exchange obligations. You'll teach my child Torah and I'll pay you. This chassid was no fool. Imagine if the Alter Rebbe picked him to teach his children Torah, a fool he wasn't. So he capitalized on the opportunity. And he told Alter Rebbe, you know 
what I need to support my children. But I need to know how to teach your child Torah correctly. And the Alter Rebbe told him as follows. Teaching a child Torah begins with the Aleph Bet. And you start with the first letter Aleph. What is an Aleph? A dot on top, a dot on bottom, and a line that connects the two. And then the Alter Rebbe went into a sing-song fashion when he started explaining this. A pin telefonaven, a pin telefonunten, when a kava machaba beemza, dos is an alif, the dot on top, the dot on bottom, and the line that connects them, that's an alif. And then the Altarebbe went to explain. The dot on top, by the way, there's two traditions in how the Altarebbe explained it, and, the, and we, we always repeat both. One tradition is that the top refers to heaven, the bottom refers to earth. And the line that connects the two is Torah and Mitzvot. Another way it's explained is that the dot on top is the essence of the soul. The dot on bottom is the way the soul manifests itself in the body or the body. And the line that connects the two is Torah and Mitzvot. Torah and Mitzvot keeps the soul connected to the body. It keeps the oil that the soul needs, the fire needs to stay kindled. So now we're having a whole understanding of what it means, tzav. That this commandment is what makes him my God because it connects us. It connects heaven and earth, God and us. Let's take it to another, another level. The Alter Rebbe once walked, this is printed in Hayom Yom. The Rebbe wrote a calendar in 1943 commissioned by his father-in-law, the previous Rebbe. And one of the, one of the days... The Rebbe writes as follows. The Alter Rebbe, Rav Shneir Zalman of Liadi, founder of Chabad Labavitch, author of the Tanya, once came out of his room and he heard his wife, the Rebetzin, telling another woman, mine mine says, meaning that they would, she was saying what the Alter Rebbe told her, what his opinion was on a certain issue. But because the Alter Rebbe heard that she used the possessive form, Mine, mine says, he's mine. Dr. Rebbe went into a meditation. And then again he said with a sing-song fashion. With one mitzvah I'm hers, with how many mitzvahs do I belong to God? What makes me hers is because there's a mitzvah in the Torah. That you don't just play house together, you get married. And marriage makes you both one. So that mitzvah of kiddushin, chuppah, is what made him hers. And when the Alter Rebbe realized that he belongs to his wife because of a mitzvah, one mitzvah, he then went into a meditative state with how many mitzvahs do I belong to God? I really belong to God. He's my God. Mitzvahs take on a whole new dimension here. Let's talk about a Gemara. The Gemara says that King David was taking a shower. Or whatever it was in those days, a bath. And all of a sudden, King David got a little depressed. King David always wore his tefillin. King David always wore his yarmulke. King David always studied Torah. Understand what we're saying over here. All those things make him belong to God. And God belonged to him. It's a real relationship. Now all of a sudden he's in the shower. He's naked. Tefillin he can't wear. 
a yarmulke he can't wear, his talit he can't wear, and he's not allowed to even say or think words of Torah because he's in the bathhouse. You're not allowed to think words of Torah. How much more so not allowed to say words of Torah in the bathhouse. So the, the Talmud tells us that he got sad. Why do you get sad? If there's no obligation to do a mitzvah, then why is he sad? Because it wasn't about the obligation. It was for a moment he questioned himself. If there's not a single mitzvah I can do right now when I'm in the bathhouse, right this moment, how do I belong to God? How can I sing to God? He's my God. And thus, the Talmud says that he remembered that he circumcised. And all of a sudden, he became with joy that there's a certain mitzvah that God compassionately gave us that no matter where we go, it's with us. Parenthetically speaking, there's a whole question which the Rebbe discusses, an unbelievable question which the Rebbe discusses about the mitzvah of circumcision. What is the mitzvah of circumcision? So of course the mitzvah of circumcision is done once when the baby's eight days old. But understand that the mitzvah of being circumcised, he fulfills every moment thereafter. So the fact that he's circumcised is not a reminder that his father did a mitzvah when he was eight days old. Every moment the Jew walks around with a circumcision, he can say what the Rebetzin of the Alter Rebbe said about him. Mine He knows that God can call him mine. Because even in the bathhouse, there's a mitzvah that allows God to say, he's my boy. So the understanding of a mitzvah just took a total turnaround. Mitzvah is either an obligation, so we look at it as the deciding factor whether I'm going to heaven or hell after 120 years. Did I do what he said or did I not do what he said? Capital H. Now we're understanding totally different. Now we're understanding that a mitzvah is telling me right now, who do I belong to? Who do I belong to? And this concept of being able to say that the mitzvah makes me his, capital H, is the ultimate beauty of a mitzvah. Thus we now understand a very interesting teaching of the Alter Rebbe. Focuses on a teaching, schar mitzvah mitzvah. You had that in, in Pirkei Avot. The reward of a, of, a, of a mitzvah is to be able to do another mitzvah. And unfortunately, the punishment of a sin is that you're led into another sin. So when you do a mitzvah, God gives you the reward that he makes possible for you to do another mitzvah. Comes along Hasidus and says, schar mitzvah. What is the reward of a mitzvah? Mitzvah. The mitzvah itself is the reward. Now we'll understand that Maimonides says when a child is young, you have to teach him reward and punishment. You daven good, you get a candy. You don't daven good, you're going to get punished. This whole notion, he says, is only as a child. But what is the goal? The goal is to be able to see this child become a mature person where he or she can understand 
that the greatest reward is that I am doing a mitzvah. Because with this mitzvah, I become his gods. He's my God. There's an interesting verse in Tehillim that could be read two ways. I look up to heaven, you're there. I look down to earth, you're there. I look to my right, you're there. I look to my left, you're there. And just let's, let's make that practical, right? I go to synagogue, i.e. heaven. Obviously, God's in control. He tells me what to say, when to say, stand up, sit down. The whole, the whole, you know, the whole prayer services. But then when I look down at earth and I go home, now I got to look at my kitchen. Who controls my kitchen? Actually, God. What could you eat? What can't you eat? Separate dishes, not separate dishes. And this, and wherever you turn, you turn to your clothing closet. Who dominates the laws of modesty? God. Wherever you're gonna go, you're gonna go on a vacation. Who who dominates God? There's so many details. If it's a married couple and they need the mikvah, can you go on a vacation where there's no mikvah? Do you have to go to shul on Shabbos? What are you just planning to stay in your hotel room? You're not going to hear the reading of the Torah. There's whole issues here. So one way to look at it is just to kvetch. God, give me a break. Even the best of lovers need a separation. <laughs> Wherever I go, you're there 24-7. Wake up, I gotta worry if my yarmulke fell off my head in the middle of sleep or not. Everything, come on, give me a break. There's another way to read it, which is quite the contrary. Wherever I go, you're there. That's a whole different dimension. So they tell a story that I heard as a kid. You know, certain stories I remember as a kid in camp, and these are the stories we were told. One of those stories was about a child, a Jewish child that was on a boat, a ship traveling, and there was a terrible storm. And the, ch the child felt very scared. And, you know, he was alone. Everyone else was going and coming and had money and this and that. And, and he's a little uh, child and nobody. Who does he have? He has no one on the, on, the thing, on, the, on the boat. And then when the boat got into trouble, so they started talking about praying. Everyone to pray to their gods. And to make the long story short, of course, they find a kid and the kid's hiding and they ask, what are you doing? How come you don't sit and pray? And when the kids started praying to God Almighty, the, the boat was saved. When they come to dock, so everyone's getting off dock, you know, you have to make stops. So they're going to visit this, that, shopping, whatever they're doing. And this kid has nowhere to go. And the captain says, what are you doing on the ship? Why don't you get off? He says, well, I have no one. And the captain turns around to the kid and says, are you kidding? Everyone else has no one. We were almost just gone. The only person who has a someone, capital S, is you. And that was a story they told us as children to let us know that even though the Jew can feel lonely as one sheep amongst, amongst 70 wolves, but ultimately speaking, who is the one who really has a someone, capital S, is the Jew. And therefore, once again, we focus on this tzav, I am really his. 
I am really his because of the mitzvot he offered me to which to become one with him. Sacrifice. I'll tell you an interesting story. Just an, it's not even a story, it's a vort. It's a chassidish vort. Vort means a saying, a teaching, a short but very deep teaching. There is a bird called chassidah. The Torah and Pashari, hey, the times when it talks about the kosher animals, so it gives you signs. But when it comes to f- the fowl, it gives you names. And it tells you which aren't kosher and lets you know everything else is kosher. Okay. Chasidah is not kosher. Rashi explains why is it called chasidah. Chasidah comes from the word chesed. Because it does kindness with its fellow bird. How does it do kindness? It shares its food. So the chasidah asks, the whole insight that we always talk about in kashrut even though kashrut is not a logical mitzvah it's a decree from god but we always talk about the main teaching is that you are what you eat and therefore we don't eat predators and so forth and so on so if that be the case why isn't the chasidah kosher the chasidah has a good trait wouldn't you want that to become you and the answer given is that to give what you didn't work for to give not a piece of yourself that isn't what makes you kosher <laughs> to fall on another joke they say the bird the chicken and the pig was walking down the street and they looked up and they saw a billboard that said ham and eggs for breakfast for whatever price it was so the chicken turned around to the pig and says, look, you and me, that's what humanity relies on. We give. And the pig turned around to the chicken and said, don't be so cute. You lay your eggs. I got to give myself. Sacrifice is a very deep mitzvah. By definition, a sacrifice means that I'm giving away something that I need. When the very wealthy gives a small donation, we don't call that a sacrifice. Because a sacrifice means I'm giving away something that I could, would, and probably need to use. When you're talking about belonging to God, because I do what God tells me to do, that takes on a whole different reality to the point where God says, this is the fragrance of pleasure before me. They're willing to give of themselves because I said, and they're doing it. This concept of belonging to God is so much greater than any other mitzvah. Focusing on the chasidah that's not kosher. When you're just willing to give when it's comfortable. When you're just willing to give when you anyway don't need it. When you're just willing to modify a behavior when the behavior doesn't mean to you that much. 
Yeah, you belong to God. You're doing what God said. But what really gives is when it's a behavior that means a lot to you and you don't want to give it up. To the point where you can't see living life without that behavior. And you give it up because God asked of you to give it up. And the same vice versa. I can't see myself living my life with having to do this every day. Whether it be prayer or whatever it may be. I really can't see it. But I do it baby step by baby step for no other reason that God asked me to do it. I'm sacrificing something. Now that whole discussion we had about this concept of mitzvah takes on a whole new dimension. I want to share with you one more point on this concept of sacrifice. I said this on the high holidays. I'll say it again now. You know, many people are bothered that in shuls on high holidays, there's an auction for the honors. Open the ark, the aliyah, this aliyah, that aliyah, lift the Torah, put on the crown, lift the ark for Ne'ilah, open the ark for Ne'ilah, so forth and so on. So sometimes it gets to a point where the rabbi gets you a little uncomfortable. Okay, you know, I, I need to do this because the shul depends upon this to pull me through the winter. But uh, let's just, you know, make it move. So this year I didn't do that. This year I gave an introduction. And I asked the people, you all feel so uncomfortable that the rabbi is about to talk about money. And he's asking you to pledge money. Why are you all so comfortable? Uncomfortable? Because it's Rosh Hashanah, it's Yom Kippur, the one or three times a year that you want to be spiritual and the rabbi is talking to you about money. Right? Seems to be backwards. Everyone's spiritual and the rabbi's financial. So I asked him just one simple question. Tell me how many of you sat here today, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and prayed to God that you should be able to understand a piece of Gemara? How many of you sat here today and prayed to God that your prayers should be full of true love and fear of God? So something's funny here. When it comes to the asking, you get very physical and you get very detailed. God, this is my mortgage. My house is about to go in foreclosure. I really need your help. But when it comes to the giving part, we also want to talk a language that we're comfortable with. Abstract. Let's get spiritual. Rabbi, give us a sermon that's going to make us fly. You understand the beauty of a sacrifice? The beauty of a sacrifice is talk to God in your language. Don't all of a sudden become an angel. The person came to the Alter Rebbe and cried to the Alter Rebbe. I used to be rich. I lost my money, my business. I have to marry off my kids. And the Alter Rebbe sang to him. You're so busy telling me what you need. Why don't you ask me what you needed for? This is the beauty of sacrifice. It's when you're not only asking God in your language, but you're also giving God in your language. 
It's very comfortable to ask God for physical and then try to offer Him only spiritual. Abstract. It's not your language. You have no idea what you're talking about. At best, spirituality means that on New Year's I took upon myself to start meditation. Let's talk real language. God, I asked you to help me and this is what I'm pledging. I'm pledging for the fourth Aliyah, $400. You understand how the conversation becomes real to you? God's willing to talk to you about Torah and prayers. But is it real to you? You understand the difference between plain mitzvah and sacrifice mitzvah? You understand why all of a sudden, only by sacrifice does God say, Ooh, this smells good. Because it's you giving God your language of giving. So this whole concept that we spoke about, that the Alter Rebbe was called mine, my, he's my God. If I'm talking to God a language that I don't understand, he's not my God. If I'm talking to God only about I want to love you, I want to be spiritual, I want to feel, that's all beautiful. But I'm talking to God, okay God, it's time to get real with you. What can I do for my community? What can I give for my community? What are my talents? How many hours a month can I actually come inside and make a difference? How much funds can I chip away safely and make a difference? That's the beauty of this week's Torah portion. Thank you, people.